Welcome to Simon White and the podcast at the nexus of business, media, and politics. I'm Christian Whiten, joined as always by Mark Simon. Mark, say hello. Good morning, everybody. Whatever right. it is. <laughs> exactly. Great. Okay, let's jump right in, Mark. Um, some big news on China, uh, which is that the CFO of Huawei, who has been in prison or at least being detained in, in Canada for nearly three years now, Meng uh, Wanzhou, who was suspected uh, or at least accused of, of facilitating uh, business in Iran that was against U.S. sanctions. These are extraterritorial sanctions we apply around the world. The Canadians had held on to her at our request. There was an extradition proceeding going on. Uh, and finally, the excuse me, the Biden administration just came out basically and said, OK, uh, uncle, we're going to drop the charges in exchange for Meng basically saying she was up to no good. Uh, it's a pretty good deal. I mean, if the feds are on you for three years, there's no American who's going to get get that kind of deal. She's yep. back in China. She gets a hero's welcome coming off the triple seven. Um, and uh, two Canadians whom the Chinese were holding as essential hostages, Michael Spaver and uh, Michael uh, Covering, uh, were released, and this happens at the same time that Biden goes to the UN and you know brings back talking points from like 2000, where he says, "Oh, China doesn't need to be an enemy. We could be competitors. We can be friendly competitors." His Commerce Secretary Raimondo says she wants to do more business with China, uh, and John Kerry. And this may be the key here: is saying he's going to go back to Beijing. It's not a threat to torture them, uh, which I'm sure will happen. But the idea being, he's going to go work out some climate deal. Uh, Mark, is this the Biden administration going soft on China? Yes, that's what that's what you know. That's not. I, I'm probably not the judge that everybody would want to have on that, but it's not my judgment. It's the judgment of a lot of people out there who were saying, "Hold on one second. This is basically the Wendy Sherman shopping list." When Wendy Sherman went to Tianjin, you know, five or six months ago, the Chinese told her, "This is what we need to get things going again," and this is all the things that are happening. We've got the student visas showing back up, scientific exchanges showing back up. All these things are starting to happen. Things the Chinese want. What has the U.S. gotten out of this? Absolutely zero. What will the U.S. get out of this? Absolutely zero. The whole auscus, that's pretty good. Everybody was kind of pleased with that. But guess what? That's 35 years off or 20 years off whenever all the subs are finally delivered. You know, So we've got all these things going on. And really what Biden has done and Kerry has done is essentially it's the classic kick it down the road strategy on being tough. We've formed this organization that one day will be tough on China. But in the meantime, we're going to basically go back to the old days. I, I think it is a political blunder on the part of Biden that is it, it is literally fill, fulfilling what Bob Gates said one time. He's wrong about everything. This is a massive political blunder on their part. The American people are having none of this. Maria Bartolomo is already on it. It's taken a while for people to figure this out because there's so much going on in the news cycle, especially up on the Hill with budget and everything. But look, here's what we learned from Ming. Basically, I don't have a huge problem with them cutting a deal for her to go back. I really don't. But standalone, it doesn't bother me. But coming with everything else, you know what I'm saying? It's the, it's the entire cake, not one slice of the cake that bothers me. And so all the way through this. But here's what we do know. We do know that basically China released these two guys within 
hours. They were they, their planes crossed as they were coming over, one going over, one going back to Canada. And the fact of the matter is, what does that tell us? It tells us that basically the Biden administration is now planning on entering an arrangement with hostage takers. We can work with these people. This is no different than four weeks ago where they said the Taliban were acting responsibly. It is just turning into a farce. It's getting farcical now. And, and, and it's going to it's going to backfire. God knows where Trump is. Trump is out there ranting and raving about Georgia. The one thing the American people would probably want to hear from him on would be China. I think he's going to come out and say something because it's such red meat, but he'll probably do what he always does, where he'll talk about China and then say, I was ripped off in 2020. But from a business perspective, every American corporation doing business in China right now, if you're an executive or if you see some guess what? Hostage diplomacy is on the menu because the way it works in China is, is once all the minions see that the big guy has done it, well, guess what? Everybody else, it'll happen for. And let's also state the very obvious. The fact is these two, two white Canadians, there's still a couple of dozen Chinese Canadians over there. There's 15 or 17 Americans, Chinese Americans being held over there. And, you know, they're not being negotiated for as much. I think what we found out from this entire exchange from Ming is that basically we're dealing with a rogue nation who takes hostages when they think that'll work. And John Kerry is now basically handing away everything, everything, because John Kerry wants to get his quote unquote climate deal. It is the it is it is it's an abomination in terms of diplomacy. It's one guy who is hell-bent on getting, I guess he wants Al Gore's Nobel Prize. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> One guy hell-bent on this and an elite class that's selling out the United States again. Again, I can't believe that Trump and, where's Trump, Andy Pudgner, um, John Bolt, even John Bolton, um, you know, Navarro, they need to be out there, Pottinger, they need to be out there telling the American people this, um, about these things. Yeah, it's well, it, it, and it comes on the heels of, uh, well, first of all, as for Biden, you know, a lot of us said early on that he was going to do this, that in exchange for a climate deal, especially if you have John Kerry hanging out in the West Wing, they were going to sell us right. out in China. This is their religion, this climate change thing. Now, uh, and but but there was a pause, actually. I mean, Biden did things on day one. He killed Keystone XL. He didn't do in Trump's tariffs or the aggressive action on um, intellectual property, the export controls that Trump enacted through, I mean, frankly, it was Wilbur Ross just being wanting to be relevant to the China discussion, but the Bureau of Industry and Security, the Commerce Department under Trump, even if you have foreign technologies, such as you know chips made by TSMC, if you made them with a US tool, then you couldn't export them to Huawei. That was a big deal. And the fact that, that Biden didn't reverse that immediately, that uh, you know, there was a rumor that Kevin Wolf, who was seen as uh, dovish on China, was going to get his old job back or the next higher job at the Commerce Department, didn't happen. Thought, well, maybe this is one area where Biden has actually gotten some religion. But you know, with the failure in Afghanistan, 
Um, and this desire, and this is this is just another how, instance how Afghanistan isn't just a disaster in situ. It's 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 causing this downstream, not just to foreign leaders looking at the U.S. and our allies saying these guys are weak, but causing the Biden administration to panic uh, on so many other issues, including China. Uh, you know, look, I am a firm believer and continue to think that if you do something in one area, it sends a signal in another. Everybody always watches what's happening. If you're doing something in this side of the yard, the other side of the yard is watching. That's how he's acting. I think the Chinese have pretty much come to the conclusion that essentially on the small stuff, Biden's willing to deal. And that means probably, look, I'm not sure John Kerry, and this will get me in a lot of trouble, I'm not sure John Kerry is talking America's book. I think John Kerry's talking John Kerry's legacy book. Yeah. But bottom line of this entire thing with Ming is if you're an American corporation, if you're going over to China, your risk management guys had better be very aware of the situation that you're potentially walking into over there. Right, right. Well, and John Kerry is about John Kerry. We know that from how he started off his political er career, yeah. bad-mouthing fellow uh, uh, um, sailors it's, in it's arms. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, eventually he would come to be chairman of that committee. It's quite quite shocking. I mean, we got a little taste of this um, before and, you know, thinking in terms of the, of the general crackdown that Xi Jinping, the CCC boss, CCP boss, is orchestrating over there in Macau. Uh, and it always struck me, the very first time I went to Hong Kong, I hopped on the ferry over to Macau. I think this was the year 2000, um, walked into Stanley Ho's uh, mm -hmm. casino. They kicked me out because I was wearing shoes, uh, shorts, excuse me. Um, now, eventually, Steve Wynn with Wynn and um, Adelson, the late uh, Sheldon Adelson with Las Vegas Sands, get licenses to operate integrated resorts in Macau. This always sort of shocked me that the Chinese were going to allow, even though it was, you know, Macau was Portuguese administered until I guess 99, um, we're going to allow American companies. I mean, what is gambling? You have, you have these people from the mainland come and just empty their pockets. In The Simpsons, Mr. Burns referred to it as the perfect business. People come in, they empty their pockets and they leave. And for American companies to be taking that loot, well, China recently sort of says not so fast and implied that a, um, a crackdown was coming. You had huge reactions in the stocks of Wynn and Las Vegas Sands. Las Vegas Sands, at least, I mean, they have 80% of their revenue comes from not Las Vegas. Most of it's from Singapore and Macau. That's right. Diversified across, and they have Singapore, but Wynn is, is, is awfully exposed. What do you think is going on there in Macau? Well, first of all, a large part of what happened in Macau was essentially the Chinese wanted to open up. Macau was opening up. They had a wonderful, actually very smart chief executive whose name I'm forgetting right now. But And they wanted to open up back in the uh, early 90s. And, and then they started in the late 90s. They started looking for people to do it. The other thing was, is there was, is Stanley Ho was there. And so he had a monopoly. So they were looking to break the monopoly. And in fairness to the Chinese, they wanted world-class operators. They wanted top-notch operators. So who do you get? You get the Americans because we run Vegas. Um, Win and uh, the Win the Win Casinos and Sheldon Adelson have made so much money over there. It doesn't matter. I was told that Win and Adelson, their initial investments, and I know these guys, I know these businesses pretty well. I've done business with them for years when I was at Apple Daily, and they were advertisers. 
you know, I've met pretty much everybody in their organization before I couldn't go to Macau anymore about four years ago. But they've made so much money. It's so lucrative. It is impossible to explain how valuable Macau is to these two guys, much more so than Singapore. Singapore is valuable, but the Singaporeans keep an eye on them a little bit tighter, and they also rein in who can gamble down there. Um, Macau is just basically just one giant churn. <laughs> um, what this means is, is Xi Jinping thought has now come to the casino bosses who will do anything they can. If you remember, um, it was uh, uh, Steve Wynn who tried to get to Donald Trump, the, the dossier about Miles Kwok, Goo, you know, the guy, because they were trying to uh, get him extradited. So in other words, Wynn would do anything to keep his relationship there. Sheldon Adelson was actually quite a bit better because Sheldon Adelson essentially also used threats. In other words, I can cause you a lot of problems in the U.S., as well as anything else. He had a, he had a mixed bag. Wynn is nothing but a shoe shiner over there. He's desperate to, uh, uh, he's desperate for his business. Look, I think Macau's dead for them. I think they'll make money. Uh, the Chinese will let them do okay. But the explosive growth that you've seen, not going to happen because they're not going to tolerate. And why would they? They're a Leninist regime. Are they going to tolerate people going down and gambling all day long? And, you know, Macau basically also is a giant money laundering area, too. You know, that's where you can launder a lot of money. Magically go back and say, look how much I won in Macau, you know, of the money that you stole out of the local community, you know, local township if you're a mayor or something like that. But I do not have I would not I would not put a buy on any casino stock in China that it does anything. I would not look at it in and that includes some of the other ones as well. I think it's a dead market. I think it'll be flat. The Chinese are going to keep an eye on it. The moment it starts going up, they're going to come in and hit them again. And, and they look at the other thing, too, that's very much changed in Macau is the Chinese government looks at Macau as a revenue source now. That's a big deal. They used to not look at it that way. In my, from what I've talked to people who I think know the industry pretty well, some analysts I smoke cigars with. They see it as a revenue source now. So they're, they're going to want to get their money out of there, um, out of that place. So, yeah, I would I would not look at anything remotely um, in Macau or any other gambling stocks. A footnote on Steve Wynn. I cleaned his golf clubs once as a kid working on the Sun Valley hey, golf course. Uh, we, we all have to do our bit, you know what I'm saying, for these people. They're, they're, they're in need so badly. <laughs> yeah. He would fly his DC-9 into the Sun Valley airport, and he had a, a golf pro with him who was about 6'5". and looked like he could break legs, no problem. Let's stick with the topic of money laundering. Um, China recently, I, China was never particularly hot on Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency. Um, but recently came out and, and basically said quite explicitly that this is verboten and they've not just the conducting yeah, of transactions correct. in Bitcoin, which are now illegal, but also going after these people who churn enormous amount or burn enormous amounts of energy performing, you know, the miners performing uh, mathematical calculations to extract more Bitcoin from the math ether um, and some of the other uh, trading platforms. It struck I me, mean, this strikes me in a way as overdue. Um, there are a couple of things with Bitcoin that flummox me. One is, to me, a perfect currency always holds its value. If you could give me a currency 
that says one unit will buy you one hamburger today and it will buy you a hamburger 10 years from now. That to me is the perfect currency, not something that goes up and down. Now, if you hold the currency and it goes way up, you're excited, but that's not the point of a currency. So that's one wrap against Bitcoin. But there's this other thing that it can be used for illicit transactions and it takes away the power of government, especially in the United States. Imagine if we lost the dollar as the reserve currency. We'd actually have to fund the government through taxes and borrowing as opposed to inventing new dollars and just having the Fed buy up U.S. debt, which is happening now. Anyway, is that what's driving the Chinese here or is it just here? This is something like Phelan Gong we don't quite understand and it's not under our control. So it's out of here. Yeah, I mean, look. None of our regulators like Bitcoin. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you you know, state attorney generals down to Gensler at the SEC, they hate it. The Chinese are they're run by their bureaucrats, so if they don't like it. They're t- they're getting rid of it. It's an alternative source of control. I keep using this word, but it matters all the time in China. Leninist. They don't like it. They don't want it. They've never liked it. I think largely, and I take this assessment from somebody who probably wouldn't want to be named. He said, largely, he thinks they allowed it for a long time based on the logic of technology. In other words, you know, fintech and we'll learn a lot and this and that. And I think they just came to it like, okay, this thing just burns a lot of energy. It burns a lot of, you know, it's basically, there's nothing here for us. We can't control it. It's causing problems. What does this mean? Uh, My personal belief is, it means very little for Bitcoin. I think the Chinese economy and the Chinese who want to play it will find ways to play it outside of there. I almost think it's probably a positive for Bitcoin because essentially they are going to, they're basically not going to have to deal with any of the Chinese. Bitcoin will not have to do anything to appease the Chinese, although I don't know what they can do. It's, it's, you know, it's a free and open trading market, but I think pulling it out of China is not the worst thing in the world because I think Chinese investors who want to play it will find their way into it through their Singapore, through their Swiss, through whoever the New York, whatever they're going to find it in there, they'll find their way in there. And I think also it'll become more popular for the Chinese because if you're mainland China and you're not playing it, well, it becomes harder to track your people with it. So if you're Chinese and you're looking to hide some money, you know, call yourself Fred Smith, open up a place in Delaware or Wyoming or whatever you want to do, put in a couple of million bucks and start trading Bitcoin. You know what I'm saying? And then you, and it's going to be very hard to find you if they don't have the regulatory regime there. I I think it's just, to be perfectly honest with you, communists make bad economic decisions all the time. I think history's shown us that. Um, And I think this is another bad communist economic decision. I think the market likes Bitcoin. I think the world likes Bitcoin, our, our, our digital currencies. And I think the Chinese taking themselves out of it is a mistake. And we'll see what happens. Right. Well, and I think next up is the digital yuan. So it's not really a crypto. Yeah. It's just a digital version. So, you know, away goes the cash. In comes a digital currency on your phone. And then every single transaction you conduct, uh, the time, the location, what you bought, um, becomes the yeah i'm, I'm really into the communist party i'm really tired of this whole like well the chinese will do this the china everything the chinese have is basically a copy of the west and then it's second tier alibaba is second tier to amazon wechat or whatever it is is second oh oh no it's better than you know not wechat but you know uh, what it, we yeah wechat is the same as what all these other things no it's not it's all a copy based on something and built on a basically trapped market 
an owned market of 1.4 billion, of course you're going to be successful. Whether it's DD that's ride sharing versus Uber, <laughs> who cares? Basically, it's always going to be one step below. And who wants a digital wand, digital women be? Nobody wants it. It's like having a digital Filipino peso. Nobody wants it. <laughs> okay. And it's got all the credibility of that. I, I, I don't, I'm not a digital guy. I'm not a digital currency guy. I can't understand it. I can't be bothered with it. And, um, but I'm telling you, if the Chinese are out of a market, that's going to be probably a better market. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, sticking uh, just for a second with gambling quickly. Um, so Japan, that, that, as far as these incredible new markets for gambling, for gaming, uh, Macau, then Singapore, and then there was some talk about Korea that didn't really happen. And then with Japan, the idea that there would be an integrated resort, which is sort of a shorthand for a big ass casino, um, that this was going to happen. This was going to, you know, uh, drown whoever in, in riches and actually as a new mayor of Yokohama just elected, he ran on an anti-casino resort platform and won. So a lot of um, the big guys who have been planning to go into Japan and have that be the next growth here in East Asia are, um, you know, coming up short. Uh, what do you, is, do you think that's just general Japanese reticence or what do you, uh, what do you think's at work there? Yeah, they don't want Chinese tourists. Mm -hmm. I saw the campaign. They don't want Chinese tourists. They don't want they don't want the prostitution. They don't want the crap. Japan, you know, people come up with these ideas and, you know, it's like, I mean, it's like, why, why you're Yokohama? You've got everything. You've got full employment. You don't need it. You know what I'm saying? What, what are you going to do? You're going to have to do import workers. You know, I remember watching, I was watching, I think it was an Al Jazeera report on it. And it was amazing when you looked at it. You know, it's kind of like, to me, it seemed like one of those arguments that like, you know, the, the, uh, owner of the football team in Buffalo wants a brand new stadium, you know what I'm saying? And everything, everybody's going like, why? Why would we just take the team, go someplace else? And I, I just, I don't see any upside for it. I saw this as like a bunch of guys, consultants getting together, trying to make money, seeing if they could fleece the taxpayer, and the Japanese are having none of it. I think it, I, I, I think this thing was, was done and dusted. Maybe you'll see a smaller version of it, you know what I'm saying? You know, just to say so somebody saves some face, but the Japanese don't need it. They don't want it. And I think a lot of it has to do with like, you know, look what it brings you. I mean, congratulations. You've got what people walking around smoking cigarettes, gambling. What does that what does that do? That does nothing. Right. Well, and you already have the pachinko parlors in Tokyo. I yeah. mean, they used well, to be I, kind of run by Chosen Soren, the North Korean yeah. uh, affiliated group, but uh, I don't know what the status I, is now. I, I just, I just, I. I don't see it. Who knows? Maybe the Yakuza doesn't have the manpower to cover it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I mean, but I, I just, I, every time I see any type of thing where somebody says a mega hub or something like that, yeah. I think of one of those bad CNBC commercials about like, you know, Qatar or Dubai, <laughs> you know, the new place to be. And it's like, no, nobody's going to go there. Macau, <laughs> Macau makes eminent sense. It's right at the bottom of China. They, you know, you're within a two hour drive of 300 million people. We like to gamble. Let them have at it. Right. All right. Well, and you mentioned the Yakuza. The Yakuza, there's a, a good, it's not even new anymore. It's a couple months old, but Bob Whiting has a book, Tokyo Junkie. He previously wrote kind of the book on uh, the Yakuza, and it's definitely right. worth picking up a copy. Bob That's Whiting, right. Tokyo Junkie. There's the plug. Um, all right. And last but not least, uh, New York Post has a story out, and the new boss of MSNBC, Rashida Jones, 
Um, and this is causing some consternation among the left wing pundits at MSNBC that Rashida might actually want to do news, that she comes from a background of harder news. It's always interesting to me that MSNBC went left wing. I mean, it worked for them money wise. And I guess if you're a business, that's the most important thing. But you have all of the news gathering capabilities of local NBC affiliates around the U.S. Uh, and then, you know, such as it is NBC News, um, the national uh, desk in New York. Uh, and they say, no, we're not doing that. We're going to hire some high power um, people like Rachel Maddow and we're going to do left wing commentary. And that's us. And now there's this concern that uh, with the focus on news that um, this new president wants to take on CNN, um, not that CNN does news, but um, sort of, you know, have that reputation. What do you do you think this is real? And do you think if, if it's if it's true, is this a good move for MSNBC? I think it's a lousy move business wise for them. But I think the fact of the matter is they're seeing their market die. I mean, you know, in other words, look. Phil Griffin, who used to run MSNBC, all he did was copy Roger Ailes. Roger Ailes came in and said, hey, guess what? I'm going to get 50% of the country, and if I get 20% of that 50%, I still win every day. And he's 100% right. Then came along Phil Griffin and goes, oh, I'll take the other side. You know what I'm saying? CNN was in the middle trying to figure out what they're going to do. Then they made the late leap to the left, but they couldn't do it. You know, you can't be the also-ran. They didn't get there. Even the New York Times has gone with basically the Roger Ailes model. I call it subscription journalism. I don't think MSNBC is ever going to do hard news in the way people think it is. I think they've they've got their niche. I think the problem with if you're Rashida Jones, I think she wants to do hard news, but I think it'll be hard news of the left. In other words, I think we can count on um, stories like why we should let 50,000 people come over the border in the Southeast, you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, why welfare really works and all these things. I, I, I looked at it. I've seen it. I think you'll still have a huge left-wing bias to it. I think the one thing that they are looking at, and this is actually pretty interesting. I think they're having a tough time as everybody else is in terms of these individuals. Rachel Maddow can still hold her spot. But, you know, basically they got three or four people that can do well, and that's just about it. And, you know, so why don't you spread it out a little bit more? You can do it a lot cheaper. You know, it used to be the whole model behind O'Reilly and all these other guys was you just sit in the studio all day long. But as the salaries go up and everything launches up, you know, that's it. Also, there's no replay with this stuff either. And with the Internet now, the fact of the matter is if you can do a news story, you know what I'm saying? And the news story can go on the internet and people watch it and you know how to do with it. Nobody rewatches Tuesday night with Rachel Maddow's monologue. Nobody watches that again. It's done. It's like a, it's, it's over. Whereas a news story can actually, if you know how to work with it and you know how to do things, you can mine that on the internet. And I think that's, I think that's what they're going for. I think you're seeing integrated platforms now. So I've been watching it. I'm not sure, though, if you're a conservative, it's going to make much of a difference to you. NBC News leans hard to the left. They've even dragged along. Like I said, I used to be a fan of Chuck Todd, but he's like, you know, he's gone. He's gone. He's he's out of the out of the box now. And, uh, you know, we'll just have to see. But I am not uh, I am not one that is uh, thinking that's the best business plan there is. I think, you know, basically. News is very hard to make money on, 
but I think you'll see a hybrid model there more and more. Yeah. Are you surprised that all the one of the other majors, so not NBC, but ABC or CBS doesn't try and go centrist or maybe even a little center right? I mean, as you point out, it's news, it's tough, but uh, those networks are never going to do in their news divisions, even if they're lagging. Um, you know, you I have can't believe I can't. Numbers. I agree. I can't believe CBS hasn't gone there. I mean, when you look at the average age of the news crowd, what is, I mean, who watches nightly news? It's probably in the seventies. I mean, in, in the, in the early sixties, these people are made for, they're, they're, they're not liberal people. They're overwhelmingly conservative. That's why I think they like, it's always the white guy, David Murr or somebody like that. Oh, he looks like my grandson, you know what I'm saying? Or my, you know, my son who wins. And I myself really believe that if you wanted to go, CBS would have the best chance to do it because it's got the ownership that could basically silence the newsroom. In other words, one of the things is, is I, I have to say is you have to have a strong leader. I worked for Jimmy Lai, you know, even in a Hong Kong newsroom, you know, we would have people who somewhat decided that they're going to cover things a certain way. And we'd be like, no, the owner of the paper has a different view. And journalists somehow think that doesn't matter. There's like this giant myth among journalists that like, oh, you know, we have no interference from ownership. Yes, you do. He pays your paycheck. If he doesn't like what you're doing, he stops paying your paycheck. And so I think overall from a business decision, if CBS wants to do it, it's going to be a bloodbath in terms of essentially how they how they handle it. One of the most interesting things to me has been this WGN, which Bill Shine is consulting with over there. He's the former Fox guy, for people who don't know. I just think the real issue, Christian, is um, in the age of Substack, in the age of YouTube, in the age of everything else, I'm not so sure that Rachel Maddow with 2 million viewers on a Tuesday night, you know what I'm saying, is the draw that she used to be to advertisers and to everyone else, you know, and I'm just, I'm just not certain. That, and that's why I think they're what they're worried about at, at NBC. Will they do more hard news? I'm sure they will. But like I say, I think if they do a story about abortion, it'll be decidedly pro-choice. Yeah. I think if they do a story about anything else, it'll lean strongly to the left. Yeah, well, it's, it's no longer in their DNA to, to tell both sides. They, they think that one side is right and one is wrong, not that they're just too... too I, think, I think people would be just shocked. You know, when you speak of the New York Post, the New York Post had the Hunter Biden, you know, story. And I think people would be shocked, absolutely shocked about how bad coverage was slanted against the New York Post. I think it's a real black mark, even at places like the Wall Street Journal Newsroom, which basically trashed their sister publication. Yeah. You know, and have now, now having to eat crow. Yeah, it was a very interesting act of censorship, not just by uh, tech, just the entire uh, commentariat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. We, you mentioned, incidentally, WGN. That's the successor to WGN Chicago, rebranded News Nation and on Joe Don, uh, Donlin's show sometimes. And yeah, they put together a pretty good lineup. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. It's um, sort of blunt, hard news. No, it's true. We'll see what happens. But anyway, well, look, take care of yourself. All right. All right. That's all the time we have for this episode. Join us again soon. Bye bye.